Welcome to 20-Minute Health Talk. I'm your host, Rob Hoyle. Our guests today represent three different subspecialties within cardiovascular health and offer advice to patients facing the question, how do I pick a cardiologist or cardiac surgeon? With us in the studio today is Dr. Jeffrey Coven. Dr. Alan Hartman, and Dr. Varinda Singh. Dr. Kuvin is the Senior Vice President of Cardiology at the Eastern Region and Central Regions. Uh, he's the Chair of the Department of Cardiology at North Shore University Hospital and at Long Island Jewish Medical Center and Co-Director of the Sandra Atlas Bass Heart Hospital at North Shore University. Dr. Kuvin, welcome. Thank you very much. Dr. Hartman is the Senior Vice President and Executive Director of Cardiothoracic Surgery at Northwell Health and Co-Director of the Sandra Atlas Bass Heart Hospital at North Shore University Hospital. Dr. Hartman, thanks for being here. Thank you, Rob. And we have Dr. Varinda Singh, who is the Senior Vice President of Cardiology in the Western Region, and he is the Chair of the Paul and Diane Gunther Department of Cardiology at Lenox Hill Hospital. Dr. Singh, welcome. Thank you. Cardiology is a vast area with different specialties, and we have three represented here today. Let's break down some of those. Uh, while Dr. Kuvin is a general cardiologist, Dr. Singh, you're an interventional cardiologist. Can you explain the difference and why someone might need to see an interventional cardiologist like yourself? All of us that become cardiologists, we start as an internist in internal medicine training, then we do cardiology training, and then we subspecialize into different fields. Uh, I often tell my patients that I'm their plumber. Uh, so they're electricians, they're carpenters. Uh, I call my structural heart people now carpenters. Okay. Uh, my electrophysiologists are electricians. And so uh, interventional cardiology is a field where uh, we diagnose the severity of the blockages in your heart arteries. And I think we should take just a step back and, and talk about the different risk factors. The five big risk factors that are, are, are really the drivers of cardiovascular disease and coronary artery disease and blockages are high blood pressure, high cholesterol, smoking, diabetes, and a family history of heart disease. If you have those, uh, you really should be more aggressive with seeking cardiovascular care. Additional risk factors uh, include obesity, um, a sedentary uh, lifestyle, and certain ethnicities uh, have a higher uh, uh, predisposition to cardiovascular disease. You'll go see your internist, and your internist may send you to a great cardiologist like Jeff, and, and Jeff is going to do a great evaluation, and, and, and he may discover and diagnose that you have some coronary artery disease, some blockages in your heart arteries. Um, and, and then he would send uh, that patient to an interventional cardiologist to determine the extent of that disease and what the treatment options are. And some of those treatment options can be just medications, it can be stenting, or it can be when it's really advanced uh, bypass surgery. Yeah. So people listening to this podcast right now and think, oh, I'm not at risk because I'm young. What is the age that people start seeing these types of problems? And when should people start thinking about these types of things? Dr. Singh? You know, I've seen patients, I'm sure you guys have seen patients in their late 20s that present with heart attacks and that are very, very sick. But in general, above the age of 35, if you have risk factors, uh, that's when cardiovascular disease really becomes the number one uh, killer of men and women. You know, Rob, there's something that we talk about in cardiology, and that's not just your age, but what is your vascular age? You know, what effect have these risk factors had on you as an individual in terms of affecting the blood vessels and building up plaque? And unfortunately, a lot of these risk factors are silent. You don't necessarily know when you have high blood pressure. You may not know when your blood sugar is out of control. You may not know your genetic predisposition. So you really, it really does begin with what Verinder says, is knowing your numbers, knowing your risk factors, and then you can almost sort of assess your own cardiovascular risk along with your physician as to when you should seek advanced care from a cardiovascular specialist.
it's thought that up to 80% of cardiovascular disease is preventable, or at least you can delay the onset of cardiovascular disease significantly if you do the right thing, healthy lifestyle, et cetera. But it's a matter of knowing what you need to know to make sure that you stay away from us. I think, you know, <laughs> cardiologists, we love treating cardiovascular disease, but we really love preventing cardiovascular disease. Right. And, and you just mentioned prevention. We know that heart disease is responsible for one in every five deaths. Fortunately, there is something you can do about it. We'll talk about how to pick a cardiologist or cardiac surgeon in a moment. But first, Dr. Kuvin, who should see a cardiologist? Rob, that's a great question. So who should see one of, the, one of our cardiologists? First of all, anyone who has established heart disease, whether that's heart disease that they were born with or acquired heart disease during their life. Certainly, they should be followed and followed closely by a cardiologist. The next group of patients are patients at risk for cardiovascular disease, and that's basically every adult uh, in the world, to be, to be honest, given uh, the number of risk factors and what we know about the etiology of cardiovascular disease. And I would say the, the third and important group are those patients who are having symptoms, symptoms of shortness of breath or chest discomfort or just not feeling themselves. They should be evaluated by a cardiologist to make sure that if it is cardiovascular disease, we can address it. If it's not, then we can move on and, do, and look for other things. Can you walk us through the, pop pro the process? Where should people start looking uh, for a cardiologist? So I think it begins, first of all, with the primary care physician, uh, who hopefully everybody has a primary care physician that you know you trust, you trust their judgment. Um, talking to your primary care physician, who do they think would be a good person for uh, them to see, whether that's someone within the referral pattern or someone that they just know and trust. I think talking to one's friends and family and other people who may have seen a cardiologist that they know and trust and have had good outcomes, it's a relationship. So anytime you start a relationship, you want to know who you're getting involved with. And I think it's, it's really important to investigate uh, how to find the right cardiologist for you. You know, we talk about, uh, or Verinder always talks about the three A's. Is, is the physician able? Is the physician affable? And is the physician available? And those are three, I think, starting points when you're looking for any, any care provider. It doesn't have to be a physician, anyone who's going to help take care of you. But it's really developing a trusting relationship. I'm giving the person the trust that they're going to take care of me and my family and the most important thing, my health. I like that. The three A's. Yeah. You know, the most important thing is when you're in the room with your doctor, do you connect with that person and do they connect with you? That is the basis of the entire relationship. And, and, and you know it. One, one, um, I have doctors who I completely connect with who are my physicians. And I have other ones that I've seen, which it was just like, uh, whatever, Ben, I'm not coming back to that guy again. <laughs> um, and, and I think that it goes to the biggest point. I, I say this to our fellows. I say this to our med students. You know, being a cardiac surgeon or an interventional cardiologist or being a cardiologist is important, but it's more important to be somebody's doctor. What's the difference? When I'm an interventional cardiologist, I deliver expertise. When I become their doctor, I give them guidance and I give them compassion and I show them the forest for the trees. Yeah. You know, when we go to the doctor, for the most part, we're usually asking, the doctor is usually one asking us the questions. What should we be asking our doctors, our primary care doctor, if we think we need to see a cardiologist? 
you could just ask him, do you think I need to see a cardiologist, right? I mean, if you have that question in your mind, uh, you may have a family history. You may uh, had a neighbor down the street that had a cardiac event that makes you start thinking, do I need to see a cardiologist? So the easiest and most direct way is just to ask him. Yeah, I mean, I agree with uh, Dr. Coven. I, I, I think every adult should see an adult cardiologist. Um, basically, as the leading cause of death in America, um, it's a uh, world worldwide crisis. And I think that you have to go under the assumption that you have risk for cardiac disease. And I, I do think having a conversation with your primary may um, give you some indication as to the immediacy and the timing of seeing a, cardiac, a cardiologist. But I do think that an established relationship with a cardiologist, certainly for anybody over age 45, and perhaps younger if uh, they have a high risk for it in the family. Dr. Hartman, say we do have a heart condition and we're looking for a surgeon. What factors matter the most? Well, hopefully you've chosen the right cardiologist. And if you've chosen the right cardiologist, most likely they're going to direct you to the right cardiac surgeon. Uh, there's a lot of data out there that's been kept literally over the last 30 years about cardiovascular outcomes and cardiac surgical outcomes. And the importance there is, is that not only do you have it per surgeon, but you have it per hospital. And because cardiovascular surgery involves so many, many people, it's truly a team approach, a team sport, as you will. Um, you get a sense of how that team is working together. And in their aggregate, they need to have good outcomes. It's just not the surgeon. It includes both the intraoperative care, it includes the anesthesiologist, it includes the perfusion uh, people at the heart-lung machine, it includes the post-operative care, the ICU care. So that all sort of comes uh, into an outcome which is measured either as morbidity or mortality. And one can investigate that. It's public knowledge. There's a number of uh, outcome um, uh, measurements that are national as well as indigenous to New York State that one can pursue. Yeah. On your point uh, on quality, uh, four Northwell hospitals earned the prestigious three-star quality overall ratings in, the, in several cardiac surgical categories analyzed by the Society of Thoracic Surgeons. The New York State Department of Health released two reports in 2022. Five Northwell hospitals were listed among the state's best for cardiac surgery and precutaneous coronary interventions, a non-surgical procedure used to treat narrowing of the heart's coronary arteries. The report also cited four Northwell, Northwell physicians for superior outcomes from 2016 to 2018. Dr. Kuvin and Dr. Singh, are there similar public reporting systems for your specialties? So for the general cardiologist, uh, we rely actually heavily on one's encounter in the office, and that is typically done by press gainy scores, which again, are available publicly to see how your physician is scoring relative to others. Things such as, you know, how did the office visit go? Was the staff helpful? Did the doctor communicate well? Would you refer this other people to this physician? So um, again, these are sort of star ratings that you can see on the internet, and I think that can help guide but I think also doing your own research and talking to other individuals who have uh, encountered uh, a cardiologist that they enjoy and they like. Um, in the general cardiology world, we don't necessarily have such hard numbers uh, or hard and fast facts as the interventional cardiologists do that Dr. Singh can speak to or Dr. Hartman's uh, surgeon, surgical colleagues. Yeah, so in interventional cardiology, just like in cardiac surgery, there are state databases, there are national databases uh, that will 
track outcomes. Uh, and again, uh, what Alan was saying was it's not just the interventionalists, it's the whole team. Uh, it's the, the tech, the, the nurses, uh, the, the care pre and post that, that lead to those outcomes. And fortunately for Northwell, we've had uh, five hospitals that perform better than expected uh, for coronary uh, percutaneous procedures, which really is just stenting uh, in today's day and age. Some, something I want to note, Rob, that you mentioned, um, we are probably the only healthcare system that I know of that across the entire system, we've achieved not just average ratings, but superior ratings. That's unusual. You may hear about one hospital within a system or another hospital. What we really strive for is standardization and excellence across the entirety. And the numbers that you presented, I think, really uh, exemplify that. Yeah, we've mentioned a few of these ratings organizations so far. For listeners who want to learn more about these awards, we'll include links to each in the podcast description. Beyond published data, how important is trust? Um, it's very important. I, I, I think that, you know, one of the things that is important about trust is being able to follow through on the issues at hand even after the procedure or hospitalization is complete. And, you know, we're in it for the long game. Um, that type of relationship continues after discharge, after the stent, after the cardiovascular surgery, or after the stress test. Uh, you, you know, it's really important that there's the follow through. And um, again, this gets back to outcomes. The outcomes is just not one person. It's just not one procedure. It's everything in its uh, total. Um, and I th I, again, I think that's where we do very well in terms of communication, in terms of the integration, in terms of following up on the details. Details do matter. So it's always important to have that ongoing uh, follow-up and f follow through. You know, Rob, when patients come to see a cardiologist, um, it's a stressful event. You're talking about their heart. We only have one heart. Uh, so we need to understand that, and we do understand that. But it involves, as Verinder said, it involves not just focusing on the one problem, but what they need from us is to understand uh, that we're communicators, that we know our field, and we're there to help them in good times and in not so good times. And I think if you have that trust with a physician or a care team, as Alan said, which is critical, it's not just the physician, it is the whole team, then that can help patients through really, really complicated situations. Yeah, there's uh, everything you guys said is, is really, really profound and, 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 and just honest. The one thing that we all should bring up is that all diseases are family diseases. So when you have a family member who's got heart disease and undergoes bypass surgery or has a stent or has heart failure, that disease is not just a relationship between you and the patient. It's between you and that entire family because that disease is affecting the family. And I think it's really important when you choose a physician to make sure that that physician understands that they're going to have to support the family as well. And that's the a, available in a Available affable, and able. Let's talk about another factor that people should consider, volume. Why is volume so important when considering a cardiologist or a cardiac surgeon? I know that you talk about this a lot, Dr. Hartman. Yeah, not only a cardiologist, but a health system or a health facility or a hospital or a cardiac surgeon. Why is volume important? It's because volume 
um, provides rep rep repetitive experiences in treating very complex disease, and the team gets better after each one of those encounters. And if you're doing high volume, it means that you're making a significant contribution to fighting, as we, as we talked about, a serious societal problem, that's cardiovascular disease. And that repetition and that team building that occurs during the treatment of a large number of patients really refines the process. Yeah, I think it's also important to note that um, you're seeing a primary care physician who then might refer you to see a cardiologist. It's obviously important to have a great relationship with that person, but it's also important to know that if you need a higher level of care, that level of care is going to be there for you. With a call, with a quick call or a text or something like that, that if you need tertiary or even quaternary care, if you need the ultimate, say a heart-lung transplant, that that is available to you should you need the highest level of care. That's great. Um, does gender play a factor and when we're talking about looking for a cardiologist and should women approach cardiovascular disease uh, in the same way that men should? You know, it's funny you mentioned this. Uh, Verinder and I were just at an event uh, celebrating the Katz Institute at Northwell Health, which really is a, a pioneer organization that is focusing on women's health in general. And obviously, a big part of that is women's cardiovascular health. I think there, there are significant differences between the approach to a female who has chest pain or cardiovascular disease relative to a male. Um, the risk factors are quite similar, but the presentation may be different. And you know what? The outcomes sometimes are worse in women than they are in men. And we need to take that into consideration. It turns out that some of the cardiovascular risk that we see in women actually begins during pregnancy. Pregnancy is a very vulnerable time in a woman's life. The amount of blood circulating in, in, the, in the body goes up. They're carrying extra weight. Um, they're, they're, they're serving another, another human being. And we know that the onset of diabetes and high blood pressure during pregnancy can portend a much greater risk of having a cardiovascular, an early cardiovascular event in one's life. So these need to be part of our risk factor evaluation. How did you do during pregnancy? Did you develop preeclampsia, hypertension, diabetes during the pregnancy period? Um, I think women should make sure that the cardiologist they are seeing, a male or a female cardiologist, is aware of differences between the two genders. And actually, that's become a subspecialty within cardiology. We have a women's heart uh, as a sub-subspecialty. Um, and, I, and I think Jeff is absolutely right. It, it, it's, the risk factors may be the same, but the way they present is often very, very different. And then the procedures that we do and the outcomes are really, really different. And, and you know, we're in a much more aware world. And, and we look back and, and in a good way, look back at ourselves and say, all these trials that we did, there were very few women. There were very few minorities. And, and that's changing. I mean, we are actively recruiting uh, women and minorities in all of our current trials going forward. So I think the data will become more robust for, for both women and, and minorities. We'll also be speaking with Dr. Jean Cachabato about the role gender plays in picking a cardiovascular specialist. And that will be a very special conversation led by the newest member of our team, frontline nurse and Presidential Medal of Freedom recipient, Sandra Lindsay. Of course, Sandra is the first American to receive a COVID vaccine outside of a clinical trial. Here at Northwell and worldwide, we remember vividly that hopeful, historic day. We look forward to hearing much more from Sandra. And her first interview with Dr. Jean Casciabano will be available next Wednesday, October 12th. We always like to end on a positive note here on 20 Minute Health Talk. So I want to ask each one of you to tell me what gives you hope, what gives you optimism going forward? And I'll start with you, Dr. Singh. 
the human spirit gives me hope and it gives me optimism, right? I have seen, as we all have in the last two years, things that you couldn't believe people would overcome. Stories that we all lived through in COVID, which, you know, honestly, I haven't actually really fully reconciled. Um, but then you see these patients and you see these people, whether they're your friends or your family, and they just have the indomitable spirit to just keep going. And that helps you keep going. It's awesome. Dr. Hartman, what gives you hope? What gives you optimism? It's been uh, talked um, that uh, we have a lot of great outcomes consistently throughout all the campuses at Northwell Health. Um, that doesn't happen by accident. And it happens because of the seamless integration and the collegial and collaborative uh, relationship that cardiology and cardiac surgery has. And it shows that if one takes us seriously, as we do, that we can really have a tremendous impact on something that affects society. And I, you know, I'm obviously biased, but I think we do it better than anybody else. Awesome. Dr. Coven, what gives you hope? What gives you optimism? Thanks, Rob. I'm going to build on what Alan said. You know, Northwell, at Northwell, we take care of about one quarter of the state of New York's needs for cardiovascular disease. That's a huge responsibility. And I think we're up for the challenge, and in fact, I think we're meeting the challenge. But I'm optimistic that together, as a system, the largest system in the region, we can continue to push the envelope on the best patient care, the greatest innovation, the greatest way to teach the next generation, really the tripartite mission of what we're here to do. Uh, I think we're doing it, and I think we have opportunities to continue to improve to do it even better. That's awesome. Dr. Coven. Dr. Singh, Dr. Hartman, thank you so much for joining us here on 20 Minute Health Talk. And for you, the listener, thank you so much for tuning in. I'm Rob Hoyle. Have a great week and stay safe. Get more expert insight from some of the leading voices in healthcare today. Subscribe to 20 Minute Health Talk on Podbean, Pandora, Spotify, iTunes, and wherever you get your podcasts.